We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three! One, two, three! Keep pounding! Fans, welcome back to another edition of the Roar Podcast. John Ellis is my name. Thank you so much for being here with us on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are so happy to welcome Billy Marshall back into the fold. Billy's going to join us in just a minute. He and I had a conversation a couple days ago. We recorded that and a good talk about the Panthers preseason, uh, getting my perspective from Camp Live from Spartanburg, as well as his thoughts on what to look forward to as we prepare for the big preseason showdown with the Baltimore Ravens. You'll hear that conversation here first, and then uh, we're going to follow that up with my observations from the final practice of camp against the Ravens. A lot to talk about there. Again, sit back, enjoy, Panthers fans. It's the Roar on Blue Wire. Yes, it's me again. It's Billy Marshall, back from my hiatus. Um, maybe I'll explain later why I was gone for so long, but maybe I won't. But I am happy to be back, doing well, joined by, as always, the guy who's kept you in the loop for the past couple weeks in my absence, Mr. John Ellis. Billy, man, welcome back, buddy. How you doing? It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. I know we, uh, you know, I've been DMing a little bit and texting and uh, just catching up on stuff, but glad, glad you made it back and looking forward to talking Panthers football with you, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has. It has. Um, I'll give everyone the lowdown. I was in Europe for a couple weeks, vacationed. I have family there, and then I went to a couple of vacation spots in Europe too. And um, in order to travel back to the states, I needed a negative COVID test. But unfortunately, forty-eight hours before I was supposed to leave, I tested positive, double vaccinated. Um, so I didn't have it that bad. I know many of you know John went through mm. a pretty grueling situation with COVID earlier this year, but I didn't have it that bad. Um, You know, right now, my voice is a little hoarse right now, but it's much better than it was a couple days ago and yesterday. Uh, But I'm just dealing with a cough and my main kind of symptoms were just uh, this cough and uh, like a congestion. So 
yeah, just uh, make sure you guys get vaccinated so you don't have to deal with the crazy symptoms associated with the virus. But even if you do get vaccinated, you can uh, get a little unlucky like myself. So unfortunately, I had to isolate there for another 10 days uh, per those government rules and uh, test a negative on Saturday. So I was able to fly back this Monday. So, but with and that said, see, just so you guys know, Bill, Billy, Billy called me the other night, guys, when I was getting on my night shift and he's, he's on a different time over there overseas. And he's like, uh, John, I'm like, yeah, what's up? And uh, yeah, I'm kind of quarantined here. I'm going to be a couple days. So no, I didn't tell anybody out there what was going on. I said, you know, look, you're, you're vacationing, taking some well-deserved time off. But uh, man, I was worried about you. I'm glad you, glad you fought through the red tape and made it home. And definitely get vaccinated out there, no matter what. If you, you get COVID again, it happens. Uh, you know, that's fine. But I'm double vaccinated. Billy is. Uh, we're not afraid to say we think it's the right thing to do. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Um, but I was able to find a uh, pretty sketchy illegal stream of the game on Sunday. So I did have. Um, yes for that and you know the, the good thing about it was it was an early start here in the states it was 1 p.m so where i was watching which was yeah. in belgium it was a 7 p.m start um so i was able yep. to catch yeah, pr- pretty much actually 90 percent of that game i i stopped watching coincidentally enough um you know before the fourth quarter i think which is where the Colts won the game but i don't, I don't really care about yeah. results um but, you know, I want to lead with you, John, because you've been covering this team. You've been on the ground in Spartanburg. You've been, you know, following the real-time updates. You have a lot of friends in the media who cover the team. And on top of that, you also have, you know, a few sources within the organization. Um, let's just start with the offense, because that's going to be the big talking point throughout the year, because they invested a lot of money into Sam Darnold. Um, they invested a lot of money into Taylor Moten. They invest a lot of money into the other offensive linemen like Elfline and Cameron Irving. Um, obviously, McCaffrey is the highest paid running back in the NFL. Just give me your 360-degree view of how this offense has been performing throughout camp thus far. Yeah, Billy, no, I, I've, I've been keeping people up to speed, you know, as much as I can. I've been there every day but once. I missed today, actually, so make that twice. But the, the thing I take away from it is there was a lot of talk last year about the way they practice and a lot of that stemmed from Teddy Bridgewater's comments. But I think even you and I talked about early in the season, how maybe the limited camp had hurt some of their situational football. There were some elements to their game, timeouts, clock management that cost them in situations where they could have otherwise been competitive and maybe won some of these close games. And the, I think the takeaway from, from my perspective so far has been what a good operation you know, Joe Brady and Matt Rule are running in terms of situational football, a lot of red zone emphasis, Billy. And that's the one thing I've told our listeners here on the podcast. Uh, there's just been a tremendous amount of detail put into not just, you know, practicing the red zone, not just practicing, OK, we're, we're in scoring range here. Let's run a few plays, you know, specific game elements. You know, you have this much time on the clock. Uh, you're on a third and eight. What do you do there? There was a sort of a hurry up drill they ran last week uh 11 on 11 two days in a row and it was very fun to watch because that the rule was running up and down the sidelines with the guys back and forth snow was on the other side brady was there you know calling the plays in and at one point uh dan arnold it was like a second and seven 36 seconds left no timeouts and he wouldn't go out of bounds and rule ran up to him and gave him a lecture on it he's very detailed billy um you know i know matt everybody has a different opinion about matt's you know 
Matt's credibility as an NFL head coach, but I got to see him really do some coaching. And that's what I was looking forward to, just seeing this staff coach, seeing these players respond to it. I think it's been, from an offensive perspective, very positive. Uh, Dan Arnold has been, you know, just catching everything from Sam uh, <laughs> Darnold in the Reds. I'm still getting used to Arnold Darnold. Uh, we're going to be saying that a few times this year, I think. Robbie Anderson, it looks like reports he tweaked a hamstring today. That That's always dicey in camp. We'll have to follow up on that. DJ Moore has been just outstanding as always. Uh, really refining in on the route running in the red zone. He's great. And, and in terms of the offensive line, look, I mean, that's kind of where we're at in terms of where do we go from here? Uh, there's a lot of talk about Taylor Moten, where to move him. He's seen some reps at left tackle, uh, not as many of late. Uh, it's been sort of a rotating door between Cam Irving, who is now sort of in and out with this shoulder injury. Trent Scott has played some out there. Uh, they were playing a little bit of Greg Little, but he got traded. Uh, so I just don't know what the answer is on that left side. I saw some clips today from camp that didn't look too promising. So they're going to have to continue to decide as they get closer what they want to do. But offensively, Billy, I don't know how you feel about this. I just think offensive line-wise, you and I talked about keeping Moten on that right side being the best idea because that's where he's his best. I've sort of gone back and forth on it in my own mind. I've tweeted out several times, oh, I might be better with him left. Right. And I just come to the conclusion, I think it's time to keep him where he is. Just you just signed Irving on day one of free agency. You made that bed. You're going to have to go ahead and just go forward with it. And if it's him or Trent Scott, I don't think it's going to be Brady Christensen because he's been on that right side during camp. Uh, the biggest thing is continuity. Even if these guys aren't world beaters, uh, they're going to have to get together, set a group of five together and get them playing in live action, which they have in camp during practice with joints here. But in terms of the preseason, I would like to see at least one of these preseason games with a first-team line running together for a few series. But uh, I don't know if we're going to see that this weekend, maybe next weekend. We'll just have to find out. But overall, really impressed. I, I think McCaffrey, of course, is always looking good this time of year. Uh, Chuba Hubbard showed some flashes in that game and has been very good at camp. Uh, they've got some good depth at running back. I think they have really good depth on the uh, wide receiver side. Marshall has been really good, Billy. And all yeah. we talked about all summer was his positional versatility. He's been everywhere. Slot, boundary X, Z, motion. Uh, I haven't seen him run the ball yet as a carrier, but he's done everything but that. And uh, he's just physical. He releases nicely. He's fluid. Uh, I don't think there's much to work on there other than maybe some of the blocking elements. But uh, he gives you that extra dynamic if he can actually translate that. Yeah. Especially if like a guy like Robbie is hurt for a while or gets hurt. David Moore's looks good at times. I mean, I think he's got some promise. Uh, Zoster's been fine. I just think they've got a really deep group there. It's all about health and continuity. they got to protect uh, Sam's blind side. Darnold's look good. He's made good throws. He's been in command. But it's camp, really. It's, it's hard to really diagnose everything until you see live games. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's certainly accurate. <laughs> Why don't we stick with the offensive line and actually the receiver? Well, we'll get to receivers in a second, but let's stick to the offensive line because one of the drills that I love watching whenever I'm like out of practice is how the offensive line gets a defensive line, those one on one type scenarios. So, mm -hmm. can you detail some of those drills and what you've seen, not only just from the offensive line, but from the edge rushers too? Because I'm sure in the defensive line, like who has stood out in particular in those drills? Because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. You know, Moton is 
moving between left and right. You know, how was he done between the yeah. side and you know, how are the other left tackle options done on the left side? And uh, maybe even like kind of give us like a review of the interior guys as well. Sure. No, I think uh, you, you're, you're spot on there. That's a fun drill to watch. It's very, very instructive as well. Uh, one thing I noticed early on uh, the first few days of camp, uh, and I had a chance to sit with, with Stanley McClover, Brian's brother, Burns's brother. And, uh, you know, he's a little biased, obviously, because he loves his brother and he thinks the world of him. But Brian is pretty special. And, and we watched him go one on one in that same drill against Cam Irving. And it was a clinic. I mean, you know, I just kind of felt bad for 75 at a certain point because he does have limitations. He's not good uh, with his first step. He doesn't set himself with the same type of foundation and fundamental soundness that you see with a Taylor Moten. Whereas you see Moten come out, you know, when he runs the left side, he was going against Reddick at times. I posted a clip of this and he held his own. And Reddick is, is no slouch when it comes to having the, a full toolbox there. You know, he can get around you. He can swim. He can spin. He's got lean, but he can also jack you up a little bit and move you. And Moten, of course, being the rock he is, just held his ground. So I think when Moten's been in there uh, at left tackle on some of these individual drills, he hasn't really seen anybody turn him into a turnstile. Um, I haven't had a chance to really see some of the inner squad stuff or some of the joint practice stuff. Indianapolis, the video was almost non-existent. And of course, I wasn't today there, but you're just gathering information from camp today. It sounds like the, the tackles did okay, Moten in particular. Um, I, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll get a better look at it. But I just think it, 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 it comes down to how you see the importance of left tackle versus taking away from Moten's strengths. He's not as good at the left side. We know that. It, it will take time. I mean, Kevin Donnelly, I, I heard him on FNZ this week talking to Kyle Bailey about this, and he just said it again. And, and, and Kevin played every position on the line. So, look, it's, it's very tough to transition from any side or from any position. But particularly with Moten being a right-side dominant guy, I just think you take away a little bit of that dominance from his game. You just paid him a ton of money. Keep him where he's strong and find an answer at left tackle that can work for at least a while. It just, I don't, Irving, to me, he came right into camp and just did not look good individually in these one-on-one drills. He looked overwhelmed. He looked, uh, I don't want to say out of shape, but I will say this. The old DBO sign you've heard about at camp, they finally took that down, I think, the do not beat ourselves sign, where every time, Billy, there was a false start, Matt would make his guys run, you know, about 150 yards down at the sign and run all the way back to the huddle. And at one point, the entire line ran. Um, Irving was leading the whole league in that. <laughs> I, I counted five or six times where Irving had to run a lap because of a procedural penalty. Uh, saw this in the game as well with Trent Scott a little bit, I think, in terms of false starts. So the procedural stuff has got to stop. I mean, it's really killing him right now in terms of, and it's early, I get it, but we can only evaluate, evaluate what we see. And that's what we've seen so far. Interior part of the line, I'm still concerned about elf line. I think they kicked him inside uh, at center a little bit when Paradis sat out a little bit during camp here in the middle portion. And he's a natural center, I think. He's maybe a little better there. He was sort of like an all-rookie selection with Minnesota at center. And I don't think he's as good at guard. He certainly wasn't last year. We saw the tape with New York, and it was not good at all. Um, I'm hoping, you know, 77, our guy Brown, who I think looked pretty 
good against a not great competition. But in that game Sunday, he had a very good game in pass protection. I, I was pretty surprised, actually. Held his own. And uh, I, I hope there's a chance at some point he continues to develop momentum. Maybe Dennis Daly's the guy. I don't know. I talked to one scout who said if he had his way, it would be Moten, Daly, Paradis, Miller, and then Christensen on the right side. So there's a lot of talk within the organization about this. They don't really know, I don't think, where they want Christensen, where they want Moten, where they feel he's best. Um, and that's a little unsettling. Because at this point in time, that should be sort of wrapping up. You should start to have an idea as far as what you need in terms of continuity moving forward. And, and maybe I'm just overanalyzing the continuity side, but every offensive line guy I talk to tells me, hey, look, these guys individually, they might be good here or there, but unless you go plug in your five and you keep them together and they learn together, you're going to struggle. And I'm, I'm concerned about that left side, Billy. I just say that. I think John Miller's really good. I'd love to see him and Moten stay together on that right side. No, I, I certainly agree with you. I think continuity really matters. And, I mean, this has been an issue, I mean, throughout the offseason, especially after the draft when they didn't invest a high pick in that uh, position. Yep. So they sort of just are going with these players. And, you know, Greg Little was traded. I'm sure he probably would have been cut – maybe not on Tuesday, but certainly at the end of this training camp process. But yeah, I was right. surprised. I thought Christensen played okay against Indianapolis. Um, he started out really strong and then he had a couple moments, uh, especially in the touchdown uh, that PJ Walker threw to uh, Trumbull. Um, he got beat pretty bad there and Walker just oh, yeah. a really nice, uh, he eluded he the defender really well to, you know, find a lane to get that pass off. But, and that's the thing about Christensen that we just have to be, I know a lot of people like, don't like hearing it, but like that, the reason he lost that rep is because he doesn't really have the long arms to contend with guys who yeah. uh, push him back on a bull rush. He just, he's going to have to, you know, use that arm length or that strength in some capacity to just be able to defeat like bull rushes or one hand stabs. Yeah, and to that point, I mean that's and that's why a guy like Brady doesn't go first round. I mean, yeah. that, you you get you get him in the third, and you feel good, and there's a lot of high fiving. And you and I, I think, talked about, you know, just from our sourcing, how excited the team was to have fallen back in the order and still get some draft capital and get one of the guys they thought could do it. Um, our impression first first out of the gate there was, I, I think you and I both agreed, left tackle would be a challenge. We felt maybe right side would be his best fit, but you had Moten out there. So maybe they try him at left. Um, but I, I don't think it's that way. I think, and that, that lends itself to the question of what the strategy is here. There's a strategic element to this they have to think about. If they paid Moten all that money and they feel like he can be serviceable at left tackle now and, and grow into an elite one, that's where their money goes. And then Christensen maybe can be. Moten 2.0 in a year or two, but even that's a stretch because he no, hasn't shown yet the yeah. ability to do it. And he doesn't, he just in your the arms thing, you're right. I talked to this guy who says, Look, some guys play short, some guys play long. The arms thing isn't a huge deal. Joe Thomas had short arms, but you know, Joe Thomas also had tremendous physique and great technique and was a tremendous technician. So there's a lot of things you have to do to overcome short arms. It's not just, you know, oh, you can overcome it, just magic wand it. Um, you're right on that place. The, the arms did play a factor in that. 
No, I mean, his, his best traits right now are his just footwork and his athleticism. I mean, you certainly yep. saw that plenty of times. He has a good job of mirroring um, Edra's yep. so they don't, like, beat him. And, and that, that's probably good enough. But, yeah, I guess just my concern with the offensive line is that if you're going to move Moten to the left side, then you're not going to have a good enough right tackle replacing him. So now you're nope. essentially putting in, like, an average left tackle and then a below-average right tackle. So my whole thing is why not just keep the elite right tackle where he is Yep. I mean, you're going to have to take, you know, your, you know, your growing pains on the left. Take lumps. I mean, you guys decided to pay Irving that much money. So that's, I mean, it can't be a sunk cost before week one. This is all part of the evaluation, Billy. I know people get tired of me talking about this. Somebody bitched at me yesterday on Twitter, but it's like, look, the, the media is pretty easy overall on Matt. There, there's sort of a, a, a sort of a still bit of a love affair with this guy. And I get it. Yeah, I like Matt. But some of the decisions he's been a part of are, are a little bit quirky. I mean, you know, first day of free agency, you go out and you pay Irving, you know, that much guaranteed, but the same amount of guaranteed money that Villanueva got. And, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about him. He's lost some weight, but he's a, he, he's a, he's a, he's a refined right tackle who's done yeah. this for a while. Um Elfline, too. I mean, a guy that obviously has been slumping with his game. I don't know what the thought process there was, but day one out of the gate, those are your two signings you make. And it's not, you know, nothing in terms of what they paid him. Um, if moves continue to happen like that, I mean, they're, they're pretty much a situation where they signed him. I looked at the tape. I had concerns. I guess Matt believes he can save everybody and everything and regenerate a lot of guys who had lost their momentum from round one a la Teddy Bridgewater, a Cam Irving, guys that have lost their step. Hey, I'm Matt Rule. I've done this with Temple and Baylor. I'm going to turn you into what you can do. And maybe he will, but so far I don't see it. And I just don't yeah. like these reclamation projects in key positions. It's a very important position to the point where I was even saying that they jokingly, if Okun would come back, I'd, I'd give him a call, flip him a few Bitcoins and say, hey, can you give me 16, 16 of these things and give me a one-year deal? Because he was yeah. solid when he was in. The only thing there is we know he won't last 16 games. Well, let's kind of transition away from the negative uh, portion <laughs> of this roster. Because, you know, what surprised me on Sunday was just how deep this team is. Um, and they were playing their backups against pretty much, I mean, Indianapolis had a few starters. And um, obviously Carson once wasn't playing, so they had their backup. Jacob Eason playing um, quite a quite a few snaps. He played deep into the third quarter. Oh yeah. Um, but what stood out to me was just how deep they are, especially defensively. They played really, really fast, and yeah. you know I like to see that. And it's not just about being fast; it's also about um, being under control. Because sometimes you you have like your really athletic linebackers or safeties, and they're just like running with kind of reckless abandon and they're like missing angles and they're not coming downhill. Um, you know, they're not taking smart angles. So, you know, for yeah. me, just watching them, you know, fly to the football and just be everywhere. Like you're not going to see too much complexities out of any, like an offense or a defense in the preseason. Uh, yeah. I just want to see effort and technique being true and just making sure some of these guys belong. And I think a lot of them do belong. And I mean, they were pretty fun. Um, you know, to watch. And so um, overall, like, and, and I want to get to, we'll get to this in a second, but overall, like your impressions of just like, um, you know, the depth of the roster, then we'll get to the defense here in a second. 
Yeah, you know, I think defensively they're in a pretty decent spot, and I think it's a credit to, to Matt's strategy here. Of course, it's not just Matt. It's teams that do joint practices typically follow the same guidelines. I mean, you, you're not going to have one team play their starters the day after, you know, playing them twice in joint practices. So you do joints, you do a bunch of uh, number ones together both days, and then you rest the starters. Um, and so they mirrored each other. The, the Colts and Panthers. And that's why I like the matchup. Um, you're able to see the twos and threes work together uh, and against each other. And I think guys you know, like Stanley Thomas Oliver in the secondary did a nice job. He, I know there were a couple of routes he, he jumped on, but there was one where he, you know, took the top off it, uh, breaking on a ball. And that was a good play on his part. He had six tackles overall, had a lot of game action there. Um, and, and you're talking about kind of your front line guys. Marcus Haynes is a guy that I've talked about with you over the years that I, I really like a lot. Now, he doesn't have the lower body to play the run, but he is a really good bendy type of guy who gets you about four or five sacks a year. And so he's a rotational starter, in, in a sense. He yeah. got a chance to play, and he looked good. I mean, there was one time where they tried to chip him low, and he leaped and still made a play. Uh, Gross Mottos looked good. I mean, I saw him chip on one of these uh, fourth and ones, the leaks that we're trying to run got a little subtle elbow in on the tight end and that affected the whole tempo of the play. Um, Christian Miller, I thought flashed and it was good to see him back in action. Chandler um, and Franklin back at safety did some good things. So Snow called some nice uh, pressures too, run blitzes. Yeah, he had a couple short yard situations where they brought the safety down and they timed those things out nicely. Uh, but I think overall, you know, like Frankie LeVu again, got a nice sack, uh, you know, guys like Nixon got some good snaps and reps. Um, Taylor, you know, he had one rep where he was against, I forget the kid's name. Is it Strawn, the wide receiver from, he's like six, six. Uh, he was in coverage on this guy and, and Taylor's like six, three. So there's not much you can do there, but I thought Taylor did a good job on one play of, uh, peanut punching the ball out. And then Kenny Robinson, you know, we hadn't talked about him much. He undercut her out and got a pick first half. They played really well defensively. I thought they held him, uh, I believe under 50%, um, well, actually it was less than that. Third downs, they were, um, yeah, it was right around 50, but they were doing a good job in terms of, you know, bottling up the run overall. I think they did a good job in terms of getting after the quarterback. But most importantly, to your point, we could talk stats all day. Biggest thing is getting these guys quality opportunities to play because we know what these frontline guys can do. When you can plug in, uh, you know, some defenders out there, uh, whether it's uh, Thomas Oliver. Now with Troy Pridehurst, that's even more important. Uh, when you can give uh, Gross Mottos 41 snaps um, in a preseason game, you give uh, Christian Miller 53 snaps. Patty Fisher had 49 snaps. Uh, Hoskins played pretty well. He had 40. So, again, they, they, they did a good job of balancing their utilization. They got these guys in the mix. Uh, I don't think too many guys did, did not play. So, yeah, I was okay with it. I mean, again, final score, all that. There was some stuff late in the game that was kind of goofy offensively that, you know, I'm done talking about, quite frankly, in terms of like silent cadence. Um, people know how I feel about that. Yeah, but, uh, I'm, I'm not too defense, worried about that stuff. Yeah, they'll fix it. They'll clean it up. I mean, it was kind of weird, but um, it's kind of weird they talked about it publicly, but I think it was pretty clear no, they had to. Because, I, 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 totally, I totally get it. I, I just think like, you know, last season they, they weren't that – do you have the stats? I don't think they were that penalized on pre-snap penalties. 
I don't have the stats on it from last year, but I know that, you know, obviously this year it's, it's, it's a bit of an issue so far. I and mean, at, at camp as well, but I just think when they run 11 on 11s and they've run some drills at camp, there have been particularly on the left tackle side, some false start issues. And you know how that is. It gets in your mind. You've got Brian Burns and you've got Yatur Grossmatos, Reddick, Chin coming off the edge off uh, a blitz there. It gets in the left tackle's head. And I think Irving has had three or four times at camp where he's had to run the sign there. And that's important to evaluate. But no, overall, I'm not too worried about some of the penalties. I know Matt wasn't in a good mood about it, but you know, that's his job to clean that up. Yeah. So I think what's been very, you know, encouraging about this team this offseason has been like the how they've kind of rebuilt the secondary especially the cornerback position yeah yeah we all know about jc horn uh but keith taylor like you said um aj boye mm-hmm. and you know i'm seeing a lot of sam franklin uh clips especially uh this guy dunk on demand is posting a lot of pics uh, clips from practice i've been following him and it looks like you know, Keith Taylor is really bringing the juice to these practices. He started a brawl today, I think, because he <laughs> tackled a <laughs> yes. receiver. Yeah, um, yeah. Keith, Keith, so, Keith's fiery, man. I mean, I just, you know, regardless of whether that's appropriate or not, I just, I love the energy, if that's, if that makes sense. Right. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I, I, I said it earlier. I, you know, I, I get back to some of my influences in football. I know this is one of Matt Rule's influences is Bill Parcells. And Parcells is the kind of guy that loved that type of energy. But if it got in the way of practice, if it became a consistent issue, then he would, you know, pull guys aside and cut them on the spot or send them in the locker room. So I was worried this would turn into Indy part two because the, the reporting, I think, might have been a little overcooked on that. So what happened there? Like it, well, Indianapolis, of course, there was the second day of practice. And, you know, what, what had happened the first day, Indy was reportedly very chippy with Carolina. Carolina wasn't anticipating that. And so they had a little talk, a little captain's meeting the night of, came into the next day and pretty much said, we're not going to get pushed around. And I think they weren't getting pushed around. They decided we're going to, you know, push back and we're going to put other guys on the ground like they're doing to us. And I respect that. What I don't particularly care for for any team is when you have these joint practices with the CBA, you have so much limitations now in terms of how much you can practice and the one-on-one stuff they're doing with the ones versus ones and joint practices. That, that is really the big part of their evaluation versus preseason games. So you don't want to waste too much time dicking around fighting. Um, if it's a little dust up like today, sure. That's great. That's fine. Um, but yeah, you don't want that to be a habit. I I'm, I'm, I'll be there tomorrow. I think, my, my sense is these guys are getting along pretty good. I don't think there's going to be a big issue, but yeah, I love it. There's going to have to be some of that type of pushback, whether it's Keith Taylor, whether it's, uh, you know, JC Horn, who was jawing today at Marcus Peters, from what I understand, you know, that's good. The, the voices of this team are gone now. Thomas Davis, Cam Newton, Luke Heakley, Greg Olson, the leadership core is gone. And in this time for this new group to step in and, there have to be some voices out there that they go along with the quiet leadership. Cause I don't think I've seen a Panthers team with so many talented guys that are so quiet. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a very cerebral group. So I, I guess, um, you know, I'm not trying to justify any type of extracurricular, um, you know, activities such as fighting or chippiness, or whatever. But what I will say as someone who spent a lot of time outside for, you know, the past two or three weeks, it gets, pretty aggravating to be in the heat yeah. for a couple hours especially these guys who have 
a lot of pads on. They have helmets on. And that Spartanburg heat is no joke. So I, <laughs> no, I'm, not not. Trying, again, I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just saying it. it there's some merit to yeah. uh, a lot of these guys who are trained to play at a certain level. And they have so much yeah. competitiveness that sometimes it does get out there. Again, I don't, you know, I'm watching again this clip of uh, the receiver from Baltimore, Keith Taylor. It looks pretty, I mean, the tackle probably was a little too much, but again, it, everything. Yeah, he, he put everything, him on the ground. That, that, they don't like that. No, I agree. I, I agree. I think it was too much. I just, I think everything, but it didn't turn into like a situation where Cam Newton is taking down Josh Norman to the ground. It turned into, you know, everyone got together and just, kind of dissipated after like a couple minutes. So, you know, from what I'm reading from Baltimore reporters, it seems like the practice was pretty much smooth, you know, outside of that. And, that, and that's a good thing. So I guess my thing is how did the secondary and their one-on-ones do against the receivers? Because we know JC Horn probably had some competitive reps against TJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, but I also want to know how guys like Keith Taylor did against, you know, a shy Smith or David Moore. Yeah, it's been very competitive. It's been fun to watch too. You like Horn and, and DJ have locked up a bit, um, and Horn's locked up against Karis Marshall too at times. I've seen him uh, mostly on sort of these slot fade routes in the red zone, uh, and, and Marshall's gotten the better of him a couple of times. Uh, Horn is, is very grabby, Billy. He's very handsy. Uh, that doesn't concern me a whole lot. I, I know that's something they've they've talked about in some of the write ups, uh, but. I'd rather start there and work down than have a guy that's passive and you got to teach him to, you know, to run with physicality, to press. Uh, I think it's, it, it, it's going to be a consistent flag issue for JC. It, it might be early on. Depends on the point of emphasis. But there's been times where it's been in short space, you know, red zone drills, and he's gotten a hold of the jersey on DJ. I've caught it. And, you know, they haven't called it from a referee perspective. There were refs on the field at camp for a couple of days. They weren't throwing a lot of flags. They were letting him play. Uh, Dante's made some good plays. Uh, and he's been very vocal, too, at times, in terms of pulling the team aside, taking on a veter- veteran leadership role. Uh, it's unfortunate that A.J. got hurt. I, I know A.J. Bouye, of course, the, the slot corner. Uh, some people say it's probably good timing because he's suspended for a couple of weeks. I, I still think it would have been good to have that continuity build at camp in terms of, you know, these three working together. And that would have given Troy Pride a chance to step in. Now he's not going to be the guy. So now they have to figure out, okay, what do we do at nickel? Is it Thomas Oliver? Do we kick the, uh, Dante back in? Um, Keith Taylor go outside. It's going to be interesting. Taylor's look good too. Like you said, Taylor got a little chippy at practice against the Ravens and, and made a hit, put a guy on the ground. But that happens. I don't think the hit was egregious. It certainly wasn't to the level of, of you know, JT Abbey who, you know, put a guy on a stretcher. Uh, but obviously the, the receiver for Baltimore didn't like it. I do like the attitude. I, I do like the intensity. I like how they're playing a lot of tight man coverage now in practice. Phil Snow has been dialing up some exotic things in practice too, Billy. They're not playing vanilla. I think there's been a lot of this talk on Twitter from guys we trust and know about when we looked at the film. There's no vanilla defense this preseason. Guys like Wee Martindale are dialing some things up. Snow's no different. Maybe not so much in the, the game on Sunday. There were a few times. But in practice, he's bringing heat. I mean, he's bringing chin off the, the blind side with burns and, and really forcing, you know, a guy like Sam Darnold and his left tackle, of course, whoever it might be at the moment, to uh, to really get stressed out a little bit. And that's a good, healthy thing to do at camp, I think, as long as you don't hurt the quarterback, which they haven't. 
But yeah, I think the secondary has grown a lot. I think you got Chen back there who's listed free right now. You know, where I've been told by a source for the team, the reason they're doing that, and it is truly a free safety designation, it's because they felt like he took a bit of a beating and he gave out a beating too last year. And they want to limit that, let him play in space more and use his athleticism. Now, I still believe they're going to feature him all over and in the box. They're going to put him down there, mug him up on the line, let him play a little spy action. He's so versatile, they can't just keep him one place. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, it just depends on what they do opposite Chen. You know, I think to your point, Sam Franklin has had a very good camp. Sean Chandler as well. A couple guys, younger guys that have done very well. Burris is, you know, a guy that is, to me, just kind of an average safety. I think they could probably do better, get a little more dynamic with a guy like Franklin. But uh, they're certainly not giving Burris all the reps, that's for sure. So that's that's pretty good to hear. Um, So I think we've covered quite a lot here, but I do want to finish up with special teams because, you know, this is – no, I wouldn't say it's an issue, but it is something I brought up during the draft and after the draft was why, you know, all those sixth and seventh round picks, why couldn't you go out there and draft a kicker? Instead, you drafted a long snapper. And long snapper. I was fine with it. I just, you know, I'm not going to criticize a sixth or seventh round pick. You know, it's just, it's whatever. Okay. What I am going to criticize, though, is the inability to bring in competition at the kicker position because we know Joey Sly has not been consistent throughout his time as a starting kicker here. He just hasn't. So, you know, if you're going to preach competition, you know, at every spot, you know, and try to bring up this, you know, college mentality, mm-hmm. nothing is earned and everything is, <laughs> you know, you you have to, excuse me, that everything is earned, nothing is given. You right. have to at least consider the possibility that your kicker that you've had for the past couple of years that you don't even have, it's not like you have him signed to like this lucrative deal. Yeah. Why are we not bringing in a kicker? And the kicker I wanted them to draft, you know, the guy who was from Miami, Jose Borigla, Bor, I can't pronounce his last name. Excuse me. He's very good. That's what I call him. He's, He's a very good player. player. He played at the UM. <laughs> He's with Tampa now. Yeah. I'm reading yep. all these updates from Buck Street reports about how this guy is like perfect in camp right now for them. Why couldn't we, you know, draft him? It doesn't even have to be him. Like maybe another kicker. Like where's the competition at this spot? Because that's, it's an annoying thing. And Joey Sly, obviously, he kicked like Joey Sly in the preseason game. So, yep. Yep. No, I, I, I agree with that sentiment in this regard. If you're going to draft special teams exclusive, and what I mean is a guy that is going to play special and that's it, a kicker or a long snapper or a punter. Uh, of all those three, I would have opted kicker. I'm like you. Now, I don't know much about this individual you're talking about for Tampa, but I hear he's very good. And I didn't evaluate a lot of kickers in the draft. I just don't do that. I should do more of it. Uh, just like we had Greg Postel on, and Greg was very frank and said, look, I don't do long snappers. So, like, um, but I, I can't give you the first thing about who's winning the long snapping competition. Uh, it, just, it comes down to if they want to you know, save a few bucks, I guess, or if JJ's ready to hang them up. Uh, yeah, I, Fletcher's been fine. I, I don't see any issues there. There hasn't been a whole lot of you know, drama there. It's a long snapper, but it is an important position. Get me wrong. Carolina's had J.J. Jansen and Jason Kyle for like 20 years, and that's a good long run of reliable long snappers. So I wouldn't say, oh, it means nothing. But to your point, they're good at punter with Charlton. I like him a lot. Um, I think he's grown. I think he's sort of helped us move on from the Polarity thing, which I think stung a lot of people when that happened. 
But yeah, I think Sly's inconsistency is going to be maddening. It's like somebody said, it's the annual Joey Sly 60 yard field goal festival in the preseason. I get I mean, why they did it, but you know, about, I, don't I don't care about that. But like the extra points, you know, the PAT stuff has got to be a little more automatic than this. I, and that wasn't even close. I mean, come I, on, man. I, it was penal- I know it was penalized. They moved him back a bit, I think. But still, that's just that's that's just bad football. I mean, and you're, um, you're in a stadium that is practically indoors. Yes, it's perfect outside. You're dealing with field field turf, which is the same surface you're going to be kicking on this year. It's not yep. to kick on it. I've kicked on it myself, and I'm not even a professional. And I mean, it's not like you have a raucous you know, Lucas Loyal crowd, it's a preseason crowd where everyone's like, you know, sure they're making some noise, but yeah, I mean, come on, like maybe I shouldn't yeah. make myself this upset over preseason misses, but it's just like the same well, story. With no, it, it's like what people have been telling me, Billy, and you know, I'm not criticizing fans, I'm criticizing a few select people who it's mostly it's even kind of media types who are like, oh, here we go with the preseason again, why don't we just shut up? Okay, fine. You know what? Here's what we'll do. Let's just all shut up until like December 31st and then we'll reevaluate. Okay. What the hell am I supposed to do? I mean, I, I have no problem with people not giving a shit about preseason games, but I kind of have to because I have to sort of see what this team's doing. And I can't see a lot of that at camp. Nobody can. And you can't see the joint practices in Indy because nobody filmed it. And now, you know, tomorrow you'll be able to see a lot. But the preseason games to me mean something because Matt Rule didn't have them last year. Now he's got them. He'll use one of them, I think, to play as starters. That's the Pittsburgh game. But the Sly thing, you know, look, you're right. That's good simulated football for him. And you don't want to put too much into one, but this is a consistent theme with them where he's missing kicks to the right. Uh, it's, these are PAT level type of kicks. And that can't happen. That's the difference between being where the Saints and where, where the Bucks end up being at some point. And, and where you've been floundering, you got to win those close games and those do add up. So, yeah, I think looking back in hindsight, you know, if there was a kicker available that could have given him competition, that's that's draft capital better spent than a long snapper. But uh, but I, I don't make those decisions, unfortunately. I, I thought the game itself, you know, Billy, my final takeaway, I, I focused in mostly on the, the, the portion of the game where we're we'll. Will Greer was not playing, and I don't want that to sound mean or harsh, but I just haven't seen the development or growth from Will at all. And I just – I know he's playing with the threes, but he's playing against threes, and it's just the same Will Greer I saw from year one. I don't see much different. I, I see a guy who tends to bail a little early out of muddled pockets, doesn't stand tall in pockets, has a tendency to check down a little bit, doesn't like to – take too many chances whereas walker has the release has the arm has the timing he does make some mistakes billy we know that almost threw a pick in this game not perfect but i think we talked about this last year if we're going to keep one quarterback and matt rule probably thinks this way too based on his athletic skill testing you know fetish he has keep the athlete if all things are considered equal there's been talk about Greer's Greer's more accurate passer in camp than, than pj I'm telling you, PJ's accuracy has improved. He's hitting guys in the red zone with consistency. I'm talking about anybody from Zalstra to Dan Arnold to Colin Thompson to DJ, whoever's in the game. So he's looked very good at camp. And that game, again, again, I think he was under 50% passing. I don't really care. 
He made plays with his feet. He extended the pocket. He kept his eyes downfield. Got Tommy uh, Trimble a touchdown. Hit the big one to Marshall out of structure. Um, So, yeah, just my takeaway, I guess, would be the quarterback competition. I don't know if they'll keep three. If they do, I don't think it's going to be Will at this point. You know, Coach had talked about wanting to get Will more snaps. That's fine. I, I don't need to see more snaps from Will Greer. I just don't, and I, that might just be me. But I just, I the verdict is in. It's year three. He's had Joe Brady. He's had North Turner, and I still don't see development. So time to maybe kind of move on there. Yeah, I, I think they're probably just going to keep him just to kind of ride out the process because they don't want to risk one of the other quarterbacks getting hurt. So it kind of just makes sense. Sure. I get him as a uh, luxury, and then you know, as soon as uh, final cutdowns are made, then. Uh, he'll probably be on his way. Maybe he makes it back to the practice squad. I don't know. Um, okay, so let's just close out with this. I don't want to do a 53-man projection. It's, I feel like it's a little too premature, and we have a game coming up in a couple of days here. Give me one name that you've seen who will be a surprise roster inclusion and one guy who you feel could be on the outs, who could be a surprise cut. Uh, based on what I've seen at camp, if we take the game out of it, I'm going to take that game out of it a little bit because I didn't see a lot there that could be definitive. I think Omar Bayless has the chance to, to sneak in, Billy. I do, because he stayed healthy during this camp. He's looked refined in his routes. Obviously, he's a little buried right now in the depth chart. They have him behind Keith Kirkwood, but he's still in the red jersey because of the concussion issue. Uh, Shai Smith, uh, we all know as a draft pick, has – Shai's exceeded my expectations. I think he's looked very good as a receiver. Um, a guy who might not make it, um, you know, I, I, I told you, Will Greer, I'm not impressed at all about what I've seen through this amount of uh, football. Bonison was not active this past week. That might be a guy who might not stick around because Hubbard got a lot of touches. He's getting a lot of touches in camp. They do like Rodney Smith. They're trying Spencer Brown out. And another name to keep an eye on is Trenton Cannon. He returned kicks very well in that game, showed nice burst. And Cannon's running with receivers, Billy. So yeah. during camp, he's with the receiver group. He's, he's listed as a back. I think they sneak him in there maybe. He's, he's the KR1 right now in the depth chart, by the way. Um, I think they sneak him in the roster. And I think they use him as sort of a Swiss Army knife. They can run him at receiver, back if they need to. Situationally, they probably won't have to do it a lot. But he can be their standard kick return guy can play other special team stuff, and that gives him an edge. So I think right now that's kind of where I'm leaning. But Bayless has looked very good. Um, I think he's a guy that if you give a chance to, to, to get in, and injuries do happen, it would take that for him to get regular reps. Uh, he'll stick around. I think they'll keep six guys at the position. Uh, so he, to me, is in the top six. Yeah, and I think especially we're talking about back of the roster guys, it's very, very, very important that they have skill set to play special teams. Um, yep. You can't just be like a, a one-trick pony in, in some respects. You got to have the you know, ability. Without, to... without question, to that point, if you go back and look at these uh, game books uh, that the NFL releases, just take a look at those over the next two weeks. I looked at the one this week and special teams reps. You know, you want to look at the guys that are playing the most on there. You know, Christian Miller, uh, Jalen Julius, who I thought played very well at times. Patty Fisher, um, Chandler had a lot of reps there. Uh, you know, so you're going to get some guys offensively as well that put a lot of reps in on that side, including um, Colin Thompson, Giovanni Ricci, Tremble played a lot on special teams. 
Uh, Saunders. Trouble had a good game. Trouble played well. And then uh, Smith, the back, had 12 special teams reps versus eight uh, offensive reps. He led the offense with special teams reps. So he's a guy they value. Um, it's going to be hard. You know, they, I think they're just rotating guys in and out, trying everybody out right now. Sam Tecklenburg, by the way, played every snap, which I thought was – I don't know how he played. I didn't really analyze it that much yet, but he played a lot, which I think is good for a young guy to get some experience. And uh, Christensen played 95%. So, again, uh, special teams-wise, to your point, uh, keep an eye on that, guys. Keep an eye on the charts after the game. See who's playing a lot of teams. And uh, if they're playing a lot on the team's unit, then they will probably make the team. All right, always great to chop it up with my co-host and one of the brightest football minds uh, that I know, Billy Marshall. Glad he's back, glad he's healthy, and uh, looking forward to doing a lot more of these as we get into the season. So training camp is over from Spartanburg here. I had a blast. Uh, having an opportunity to be there almost every day to witness sort of the rhythm of the the new regime here. We didn't get that opportunity last year. Uh, The first joint practice I have seen this team hold, first one they've held uh, since 2019, I was there during that uh, joint practice with uh, the Buffalo Bills. It was a very physical couple of days, Uh, not a lot of uh, fighting or anything, but the Bills were a very physical team and from a defensive perspective they came in and pushed Carolina around up front offensively and I thought it signaled some concerns there you can learn a lot from these joint sessions Uh, the first day I was not there at Ravens Panthers practice the second day I was uh, if you follow us on Twitter at one Panther place you saw a few clips uh, and and some pretty detailed analysis on what we were viewing there I guess the the first thing I'll start with is the defense Uh, they were very good they were fast talking about carolina's defense here Uh, and they're matched up against a a dynamic structure with what baltimore runs of course with uh, greg roman uh running uh, sort of a a a big pistol look at times you've got 21 personnel with uh jackson as a potential running threat uh but he's in the gun he's in a reduced gun in the pistol so there's also the the option to run or pass there's so much to account for so they did a lot of red zone work there early on. I saw some good things from Jackson. He looked, you know, quite difficult to defend <laughs> up close. Uh, he is such a quick athlete, um, regardless of, of what people say about his uh, the things he needs to work on. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and I think he's going to continue to show that. On this particular day, though, Baltimore was down a few receivers. In fact, I believe I read five of their top six might have been out at some point. So... <clears throat> you start there and, and understand that Carolina did have some advantages there. But at the same time, what, what you have to focus on with what Carolina was able to do defensively, and, and again, I'm going to speak more to that than the offense because the, the practice was divided up into two fields. Uh, some of the media were able to have access to the far side field, which was where Carolina's offense worked. And I got a little bit on that as well. But most of my time was spent right there along the sideline watching the defense go against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And I'll tell you what I liked. Number one, their multiplicity, okay? So Phil Snow, and we've spoken with Cody Alexander, who does a great job breaking down defenses on Twitter and his own websites as well, uh, matchquarters.com. Cody was a former Baylor assistant under Phil Bennett, and he has sort of a nice viewpoint, good perspective of how defenses are structured. 
from a sub-package perspective, Carolina ran what's called a 3-3-3. Uh, and this is something that Phil Snow ran quite often at Baylor, and he ran it at times last year. You end up with what's a essentially three linemen up front with a little more size, three backers stacked right behind those three linemen, and then you have three safeties stacked behind those three backers. And the joker safety in this case, the middle safety as they call it in the college game, would have been Jeremy Chin which gives him multiple opportunities to maybe come down, fit the run, uh, play at the line. But mostly when they run the three alignment, at least in camp, the three safety alignment, they were using him as the middle safety back. Uh, You had Sam Franklin in there at times as another safety. Um, You had Burris at sort of a strong safety position on the strong side of the formation. But I thought that was an interesting wrinkle that they continue to throw in there. And that's not something they're going to feature in basic. And their base package to me looks like uh, sort of a 43 under front and this is something you go back and look at seattle over the years they've run this a lot in fact phil snow has run this a lot at the college level where you end up with sort of an offset defensive line your strong side backer is going to be number 43 hassan reddick in this case and he's off the ball on the tight inside the strong side on the weak side you've got on the line usually with his hand in the dirt uh brian burns and that typically is called the Leo within the structure of what Seattle runs. Bruce Urban's run the Leo before. There's a lot of traits that you know fall in line with Urban's game as a young player and Burns now. Their size is almost identical. So again, in terms of the base package, what they do in terms of stopping the run early downs, you'll see some of that. But in, from the perspective of how they played, they are fast, Carolina's defense. And they have playmakers at all three levels now. They got some depth. Um, which I like. Derek Brown has had a very good camp in terms of penetrating inside uh, against the pass. Morgan Fox has been a nice rotational player. So when they were running some um, one-on-ones you know throughout practice here you can see some things that demonstrate high value in terms of pass rush in terms of power. These defensive linemen have a nice collective toolbox of moves. An 11-on-11 action and, and that's what I really paid attention to here. And you guys saw the clips out there. You saw some of the reports. Carolina was flying around, and they put Lamar in a situation, as well as Huntley, the backup, to, to make some decisions and some throws that were a little off, off the mark. Uh, you had Kenny Robinson in the mix, jumping a seam route and making a great play. Uh, Dante Jackson made a superb play on the perimeter, uh, getting an interception there. And he did so, dropping in coverage a little bit, in sort of baiting, I think, Jackson into the throw and then jumping the route. Uh, Shaq Thompson sat down on a route and did a great job picking off a ball. And then, of course, one of the stars from camp over the last few days has been Davian Nixon, the defensive tackle from Iowa. And we spoke with Matt Bowen about Nixon a while back because Matt's an Iowa guy. Matt does great film analysis for ESPN, and, and Matt and I have been trading texts about Nixon for months now. Uh, He was able to share some film with me from the Iowa perspective, and it's really good stuff. Uh, And and we also got Greg Cosell's perspective on Nixon, and he thought that Nixon is a tremendous athlete, needs to play with a little more strength at times, but you saw that athleticism flash. Uh, The the first one, and this is another camp star I'll point out, Frankie LaVue, number 49, sort of an all-purpose backer, can do a lot of things for you, has, has got tremendous 
range as far as his toolbox goes. Can do a lot of things for you, but the, the speed he plays with, the motor that, that runs within this guy is unstoppable. Um, I'm not saying he's starter level, but he's a great rotational piece for Carolina. And he was the first to get his hand on the ball yesterday, the tip ball that ended up in Davian Nixon's hand for the interception, which was fantastic. The, it had just got the entire crowd amped up. Uh, half the crowd was probably Baltimore fans, by the way. Quite a Ravens contention, but the sideline for Carolina was going nuts. Uh, you saw some of the videos there. Nixon just, again, capitalizing. And you see a lot of these defensive tackles. They, they don't have that skill set to be able to get the ball on a tip drill. He got two of them. He had two interceptions yesterday. That's very rare for one defensive tackle who's not a starter to pick off two balls. And again, one was assisted by uh, Frankie Lavu, so you have to give him credit there. You almost like you want to split that interception in half on the stat sheet, but again, it's unofficial because it's scrimmage. Uh, a lot's been made about this being sort of a substitute in a way for a preseason game. You get the ones-on-ones with a little more frequency. I, I still think you're going to see, from what Matt Rule has talked about, Sam Darnold and some of the starters playing maybe two or three series on Saturday night. Um, I don't think you're going to see much more than that, and I think you'll see some starters sit, depending on health considerations. But I think Sam is going to get a chance to finally get in there and play some situational football in a game setting. I think that's a good thing. It's different with a the crowd. There's a little more pressure. So I think defensively, just to put a bow on that, and then we'll turn to the offense, I just really think that last practice against Baltimore, the energy level, the the ability to focus in against a very good opponent, even though they were down some receivers, they're still very dynamic in terms of their protections. Mark Andrews did get hurt during practice, but he was featured quite a bit early on, and they did a decent job at times on him. But I'm telling you, from all three levels, defensive line, they have depth now with Morgan Fox, with Daquan Jones, with Davian Nixon. They have guys who can rotate. Phil Hoskins has looked good at times. They have Shaq Thompson back and healthy. That's critically important. If he does not stay healthy, they're going to have a hard time fitting the run and staying competitive in early downs. They also have Jermaine Carter, who I think is one of the most underrated backers on this team, more and more underrated defenders they have at least. And I think Jermaine's a very good player. They've got an opportunity to do some really good things. And Reddick, again, he'll play a number of things. In sub packages, you'll see him in a, a, a linebacker position in that 3-3-3 we talked about. But his bread and butter, again, is wide nine, sort of like Brian Burns, rushing off the edge. There's, you can't put one finger on it and say, you know what, this is the thing they do. And I think in year two, now they've had a full camp, I'm highly optimistic about Phil Snow's defense. Now they've grown some leadership there. Jeremy Chin's a year older, a year wiser. Brian Burns as well. Again, Shaq is sort of the centerpiece of the leadership core of that defense. Dante Jackson has been very vocal at camp in a positive way. J.C. Horn has been very physical at camp. Now you can work on that, some of the technique stuff with the hands. Uh, I'd rather him be physical and a little grabby to come out of the gate here as a rookie and then you can work down from there instead of being passive because you really can't teach a passive corner how to be aggressive the right way. He's very good and he's very gifted. So I'm very optimistic. But again, Frankie Lavu, Davian Nixon, uh, those are guys that, that really shine to me in terms of uh, guys you wouldn't have thought about maybe three months ago being contributors on this team. I think they'll both make the squad. And I think they'll both have an impact. Uh, Frankie Lewis' former team is the Jets, by the way. So you've got some good local knowledge there going, and at least in terms of some of the 
opposition's personnel. Maybe not scheme because it was different staff, but uh, it's always good to have some perspective from an opponent on week one. Offensively, uh, you know, from the 11-on-11s, Sam Darnold looked more crisp and polished on that second day. What I was able to view is Taylor Moten playing left side, probably out of a little bit of necessity with Cam Irvin's health being up and down with his shoulder issue and his effectiveness. I think it's been a little overblown at times in terms of how bad he's looked. Again, he does some good things in the run game as well. Irving has played a lot of snaps in this league. He's played for some good teams. He's played for the Chiefs at guard and tackle. So he's a former first-round pick as well. He has some tools and some traits you can work with. But I think their best option right now would be if they kept Moten at left tackle, keep him there. If they're going to keep him right side, keep him there. I'm really past the whole point of debating what they should do there. We all know he's better as a right tackle. There is some debate as to how vital protecting left tackle at a higher level is than keeping your right side dominant with Moten out there on the right side, which, where do you, how do you balance that? It's hard. A lot of that has to do with maybe Christensen. You know, people are really anxious about seeing him play. He's not going to be a left tackle right now. You know, Jordan Gross took time. Jordan Gross took, I think, a year before they moved him over to left side. He started right tackle um, as a rookie with Carolina. It was great out there. Took him some time to shift left. And I think you might see that with Christensen. Now, he may not work out. It's one of these things. He wasn't a first-round pick for, for a reason. I mean, there's a short arms issue. There's been some debate about how important that is. I think in, in certain situations, that is pretty vital. But his athleticism is tremendous, as Billy and I talked about earlier. And I think that will carry him a long way, whether it's inside as a guard, where he's had some reps at right guard, or at right tackle. So we'll see. Trent Scott would probably play right tackle day one if, if Moten played left tackle. Fascinated to see the Baltimore lineup tomorrow night in the preseason game, how they match up and what they go with. If I had to guess, I, I would say Moten left tackle, daily, maybe left guard. He had some reps there. Depending on Paradis' situation, maybe Elfline at center because he can play both, and I think Elfline's a better center than guard. Right guard, uh, look, John Miller is the incumbent, but I saw Brown, Deontay Brown, the rookie, playing right guard with the ones yesterday. I think they're trying to give him some opportunities. And he looked good. He looked good in pass protection, I thought, in that first preseason game. I think it was very effective in terms of how he graded out from pass protection. And then right side would probably be Trent Scott starting, but maybe Christensen. We'll have to see. So I thought, again, Sam looked very comfortable back there. He made some really good throws. There were a few drops. You've got some injury concerns a little bit. You know, DJ's a little nicked up. Robbie's been dealing with a hamstring, some personal stuff too, where he's missed some practice time. I'm not too concerned about that, uh, the personal stuff, because he's a vet. He knows how to, you know, come in and do his job. Uh, Dan Arnold as well, the tight end who continues to shine and do good things in the passing game. Ian Thomas uh, continues to be active with the ones at times. Definitely in there with the twos, but they run a lot of 12 personnel, so there'll be cases where they'll open up the game with two tight ends starting. Uh, in fact, they did that quite a bit last year. So I, I'm really impressed by the tight end group. I think they'll have a good chance to shine. Tommy Tremble, you saw him in that preseason game against uh, Indianapolis, made a touchdown catch. I, I'm eager to see him blocking more. I want to see him in some H-back, fullback type of roles and lay in the wood because he has the natural gift of, of just taking the right angles and putting people on their ass. And uh, as Greg Cosell told us on our podcast back in the summer, he'll melt your face mask. I still think that's the greatest quote ever I've heard in terms of run blocking. 
Uh, special teams, they ran a very active special team session. Uh, kickoff drills, Trenton Cannon did a nice job. Uh, in fact, I believe for the first team, I'd have taken one of the house. It's hard to tell because they blow the whistle sometimes on these, but you know they, they were physically matching up in terms of creating that frontline block for the returner. And there were a couple times, I believe, uh, where it got a little chippy. Carolina put a couple guys on the ground, and the Ravens did not take too kindly to that. I believe it was uh, Melvin who did that for Carolina, the defensive back. But I, I think what the takeaway here is, you know, from a special teams perspective, we've got to keep an eye on Joey Sly. Billy talked about this earlier. Uh, the long snapper competition, I don't, I don't know what to make of it, honestly. I, you know, the guys have been pretty solid. I think Fletcher may have had a couple snaps that weren't, you know, ideal at times, but I'm not really red flagging that one. They're not going to keep two. Uh, and Sly continues to, you know, kick just fine at Wofford. You know, Wofford's, we're done with that now. But throughout camp, he didn't look bad. But in the preseason game, once again, you're talking about another missed extra point. And uh, from anything inside of 45 yards or 50, even 50 yards, it, it's got to be a little more automatic than that. It, it wasn't even close. So Joey Sly, good story. You know, again, the guy that I saw firsthand at camp in 2019, uh, walked onto the field one day and saw him down kicking. And it was just <laughs> obviously a guy who looked like he played middle linebacker, booming him from 55 yards. And I said, oh, this guy got an opportunity to make this team. And sure enough, he did uh, with Graham Gano uh, off to New York. So you miss that consistency. Of course, Graham Gano had some issues there uh, at times with, with PATs. And it happens around the league, but you want to see that buttoned up a little bit. I just thought it was a really good day for the Panthers in terms of finishing camp out the right way. It was a clean practice. They didn't waste any time with fighting. There was some good jawing going on back and forth, but nothing you know, evil-natured. Uh, and I just think it's one of those practices against a playoff team that you can gain confidence from as a young group. Don't forget, people have, have told me at times I've been a little hard on this regime. I, I just try to call balls and strikes. There's no agenda here. And the fact is, Matt Rule was a tremendous college coach and did a great job taking very bad programs and developing them into winners. And I'm waiting to see if that translates from a larger perspective. But I do like the energy with which they run practice. I like the assistant coaches. I like their mindset. I like how they structure practice offensively with an emphasis on situations with an emphasis on game-specific situations, red zone, uh, talking about clock management. You have like a, a second and seven. I told you guys this earlier, and they threw a little quick out in the flat to Colin Thompson, and he didn't get out of bounds. And Joe Brady was on him pretty bad about that. But Colin's not the only one. It was, you know, a lot of people you know, would occasionally would make a sort of an ME, they call it, mental error, and there would be a teaching moment. But it was never out of hand, you know, that Matt is a screamer at times, but you know Ron was too, John Fox was too, uh, but it's appropriate. I like the way Matt coaches. He's very involved. He's in the middle of it. He's heavily on the offensive side. I think uh, he trusts Joe Brady, but he also believes in Phil Snow probably a little more because of their past together. And Phil's got a ton of experience running defenses, maybe not on the NFL level, but defense is defense and. Phil has a good command on his group. Evan Cooper, the DB's uh, assistant, uh, of course, has sort of elevated into what I feel like is a bit like a chief of staff position for Matt Rule. He's been his right-hand man in a lot of cases. 
uh, at camp, and you've also seen this during the draft confidential show that the Panthers did as well. Evan Cooper was very close with Matt Rule. They go back a while, so. Uh, again, the staff, I think, has done great. Chase Blackburn and the special teams unit, uh, Ed Foley, a, a very good camp for the Panthers. It was a pleasure to bring it to you guys. And it looks like, yeah, according to what I've seen, they'll be back next year in Spartanburg, it looks like. And that's a good thing because uh, it's my hometown and always good to see Carolina uh, in the uh, Blue Unis down there on the practice field at Wofford College. That wraps it up. we got a big game against the Ravens coming up here, folks. Looking forward to seeing what Carolina does. Of course, we'll bring you live analysis on Twitter. And join you next week with a recap with Billy Marshall. Hey, it's John Ellis on the Roar Podcast for Blue Wire. We'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.